So today is the third week of a series we're calling Functional Faith. And right around the corner from our house is a gym called Functional 45. And they offer a range of 45 minute group classes, not designed to do step aerobics or pump or some of the classics, but designed around this idea of functional fitness, that what you do inside the gym uh, for that 45 minutes should translate to your everyday uh, life if you apply yourself. And that's really how faith is meant to be. Faith is not meant to be simply something that we bring out on special occasions, like when we get the bad doctor's report or when uh, our business is struggling financially, but actually faith is something we're meant to use every day and apply it in different ways and in different levels in an everyday functional way. And so great to have you here for the third week. If, if you want, you can catch up with the first two weeks of, uh, of this series on our podcast. I'm gonna uh, reference that in a moment. Now, this book, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, uh, dropped about three weeks ago, Rochelle. About two, uh, okay, and how many minutes? Uh, two weeks ago, and Rochelle Beanie, who's this is her book, will tell you that it is possible to read this book in one sitting. Um, this is the uh, latest and uh, allegedly final uh, book in the seemingly endless series of Harry Potter books. Um, it's sold, you know, it's sold over 2 million copies in the first 48 hours of release just in the US alone. So this is a, this is a breakout book again. Um, one thing that makes this book different though, I'm told, is that it's a script. It's a script for a screenplay or a stage play, I should say, that's currently um, being held in, in London. Whereas the other Harry Potter books are more in, in the t typical uh, fiction uh, approach of a narrative novel where, where there's a narrator essentially telling you the story. Most fiction books are actually written in a narrative style. I don't know if you, you knew that, probably most of you did, you're all smart, I know. Um, are written in a narrative style where, where, where they're, they're, there are characters in the book, but there's a narrator and the narrator is the one that guides your you as the reader guides you in terms of uh, highlighting motives and pointing you towards certain characters' motives, uh, telling you what you should focus on, giving you a hint of what's maybe coming around the corner, keeping you in suspense is a, is a narrative novel. And one thing that I've observed is that in this piece of real estate, every single one of us has a narrator telling our own story to us. That as we walk through life, as we live each and every day, there's a narrator that's telling us what we should focus on, a narrator that's telling us what's important and what's not important. And what I've observed is that the narrator we listen to will very much determine the future we experience. You can listen to the narrator of your past failures, and have that narrator tell you that you're a failure, tell you that your life would never amount to anything. You can listen to the narrator of, of challenging circumstances and have the narrator tell you that you're never ever gonna get through the circumstances that you're facing, that you should just quit, that, that you're never gonna experience the breakthrough. And the narrator that you choose to listen to will determine the future you experience. And last week I taught on a message called The Frame Game, where actually the best narrator that you and I could listen to is, is God's Word, is what does God say about 
the challenging circumstances you might find yourselves in? What does God say about the past and about maybe some of the failures you've had? What does God say ultimately about your future? And we can build a life based on God's Word. We can use Him and His Word as, as the narrator. And uh, be far more likely to experience the sort of future that God has for us. Now, if you've got your Elevate app, you can uh, pop that bad boy open, clip, click on the Bible, and uh, it'll take you to um, a story in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And, and Paul wrote uh, this part that we're gonna look at this morning of a story. It was a story about Abraham, one of the heavyweights of history. And Paul wrote the story, Paul played the role of the narrator in writing this. It was a letter, but he, he included this story and he, and, he, and, he, and he put himself in the role of the narrator. And this is what he wrote to them about Abraham. He said, Abraham was first named father, and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do only what God could do, raise the dead to life. With a word, God's Word, makes something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding not to live on the basis of what he saw he could do, or couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God Himself said to Abraham, you're gonna have a big family, Abraham. Well, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence. Yes, it says that. And say, it's hopeless. This 100-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously sceptical questions. Instead, he plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what He had said. And that's why it said, Abraham was declared functionally fit before God by trusting God to set him right. Now, this actually isn't the whole story of Abraham. It's, it's what is known as a synopsis, like the, the, the condensed truncated version. In fact, it actually left out some pretty big um, historical references from Abraham's life. It, it, it doesn't mention the time that uh, Abraham, who, who was getting old and his wife also getting old, God had promised that they'd have kids and, and, and Abraham got sick of waiting. And so uh, he said, God, you know, you're obviously taking your jolly sweet time. Um, maybe I'm gonna have to help you out. So Abraham slept with his wife's PA and, uh, and she had a baby and, and God didn't like that very much. Um, it didn't mention that, Paul didn't mention that, it's interesting. It was a big, big cock up on, uh, no pun intended, on Abraham's uh, perspective. We'll probably need to edit that out of the podcast, uh, Jared, later on. Um, and uh, it didn't mention another time where uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, she was a bit of a hottie, um, that they were in a part of the world and the king, the king was kind of, you know, he was kind of, well, he didn't really like Abraham. Uh, he was a bit jealous of Abraham. And uh, so Abraham's solution, clever solution, was to tell his wife, Sarah, tell, tell the king that you're not my wife because uh, he, he's a bit jelly about that. Tell, tell the king that you're my sister. And so she, she tells the king that she's Abraham's sister. 
and the king starts hitting on her. And, uh, and God didn't like that very much. And God actually made life difficult for the king and the king found out that Abraham and Sarah had both lied, that Sarah wasn't his sister, but was indeed his wife. And uh, it, it, was, it was not good. Well, Paul didn't mention any of those things. Interesting, huh? See, Paul narrates this story from the perspective of grace. You are not what you were in your weakest moment. Some of the stories that you've got, stories of failure, stories of defeat, stories where you didn't live up to God's best, that, that you've got on endless loop, God's, He's actually edited them out. They haven't even made the story that He wants to be told about your life right now. The synopsis, your future isn't fixed to what you did in your weak moments in the past. Now, this story, and I realise there was a big chunk there that Paul wrote about. Um, essentially, he highlights two extremes of faith. What he was doing at the time when he wrote that part of the letter to the church in Rome, he was trying to explain faith to them, what faith means, how it works, how you can be uh, use faith in a functional manner. And, and he pulled this story out of Abraham by way of an example of somebody who, who was functional in his faith and applied his faith. And what Paul essentially did, whilst he didn't use these exact words, he, he presented a model where there's two extremes of faith that Abraham thankfully was able to avoid both extremes, dangerous extremes. At one end of the spectrum, and there's a corner of Christianity that does this. There's a corner of Christianity, I could, I could take you there, there's a corner of Christianity that, see, that says faith should be about denial of your problems. That if you've got faith, that, 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 that you, like your, your problems are there, but faith will have you do this. No, no, it's not really happening. By faith, that's not happening. By faith, those problems aren't there. And, and deny the existence of any problems. One of the shortcomings in that approach is you don't have to apply your faith to something that you deny the existence of. Abraham instead, Paul wrote of him, when everything was hopeless, this idea that he faced the facts Everything was hopeless. It is what it is. God had promised to make him the father of many nations and it hadn't happened yet. It is what it is. He was a hundred years old. The swimmers had stopped swimming and there wasn't pills for that back then. It is what it is. Your credit card statement just arrived. Oh crap, that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, okay, for some of you, it is what it is. You've signed divorce papers in your past. It is what it is. The doctor's report just came in. It's not good. It is what it is. 
Because you can't get past what you don't correctly identify. One of the reasons you want that doctor to find out if something's wrong is because you want to ultimately get it fixed. And if that doctor doesn't correctly identify the problem, then they won't be able to help you work out the solution. The same goes with faith. If we don't first face the facts and acknowledge that there's some things in our world that aren't what God promised, but they're there right now, then we're not going to be able to apply our faith there. Faith can't fix what we don't face. So the starting point isn't denial. The starting point is facing the facts. But if all we do is face the facts, if all we do is focus on the problems, if all we do is look to the challenges and forget about the promise, then Paul warns us over the other end of the, of the spectrum, the other extreme is despair. That we're so consumed by the facts that we lose focus that God has the power to bring us through that. And that can lead us into despair. And these are really two extremes of faith. And thankfully, Abraham was able to live somewhere in the middle of those in this story that Paul told about him, that he faced the facts, it is what it is. I'm old, she's old, God hasn't delivered yet. But Abraham believed anyway. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. That's where faith has a whole other dimension to your story. It is what it is, but it's not, what it seems. And, and I really, I said this last week, my prayer is with functional faith as we're learning it, is that what we're teaching will show up in your cubicle on Monday. That what we're teaching will show up in your marriage on Tuesday. That what we're teaching will show up in your drive time with your kids on Wednesday that what we're teaching will, will show up in your health decisions on Thursday. That, that what we're teaching has, a, has an application, has a functional aspect to it. And one of the things about faith is that everyone has a different, in, in a particular point in time, has a different measure of faith, has a different level of faith. Another thing about faith is that is that you will have a different level of faith in different areas of your life. So not only do we have a different level to the person next to us, we also have different levels of faith within our own life, depending on the situation. The good news is that Jesus set the bar pretty low. <laughs> It's kind of weird. He in fact said that if you and I have faith as small as a mustard seed, that we can say to this mountain, mountain of whatever, move and it'll be cast into the sea. He said, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed and a mustard seed was the smallest seed that they knew of at the time. So by Jesus saying, to the audience of the day, if you have faith, even as small as the smallest seed that we're aware of, even that 
level of faith, if you apply it, if you learn to make it functional, you can see some of your challenges and your problems overcome. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen a mustard tree? I chopped one down once. I know, it, it looks like this, this is a true story. Have a, have a look at, at, at a mustard tree. Zogba, you got that? This guy is not the mustard tree, so uh, though, though he could be, it, yeah. This is a mustard tree. I had one in, in, in the backyard of a house I owned once and I chopped it down manually. I did, not chopped it, I sawed it down. I know, I'm just letting you kind of admire me for a moment. In... Okay, you done? You, you'd probably never be done admiring for that, me for that feat, but I literally, it was unbelievable. Um, so, so, here, so here's the thing about, about a mustard seed. In fact, I brought one with me today. Well, actually, this isn't a seed. This is a tree. If all you ever see is the seed, but don't take time to consider its potential, then it's just a seed. But God sees even the smallest seed as having some pretty astonishing potential. Though for this to become a tree, it needs to be buried. I could put this in my Indian curry this afternoon and it'll be delicious, but it won't be a tree. But if I bury this in the ground for a season, it has the potential to become a tree. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. On Wednesday night here, uh, we gathered our team members together and for what we call an all-in night. And we had a great night, celebration, dinner. We, we, we recognised and honoured a bunch of the phenomenal team members that we have. Uh, we had some great teaching from one of our good friends around leadership and capacity building. And it was fantastic. You know, there, was, there was 40 team members. We have 45 team members. So there's a few people that weren't able to be here. But of our 45 team members, we had 40, 40 team members here on Wednesday night. Do you know that in the last 12 months, on four separate occasions, we've had less than 40 people here on a Sunday? I call them ghost town Sundays. I go home and I call them slit my wrists Sundays. It is horrible. It's been as low as 32, at 40 team members. And yet on the 20th of September, 2015, we had 32 people in total. Now, those of you that were here on the 20th of September, 2015, you will undoubtedly remember that our music team still bring their best. 
that whoever's platform leading still brings their best, that our host team still bring their best and that whoever's communicating, it was probably me, still brings their best because you matter. Every one of those 32 people is somebody that matters to God. And so we will always bring our best even when it's 32, but we don't like 32. God's calling us to reach thousands of people And yet on the 20th of September, 2015, there was only 32. And it's a tough gig, I can tell you this. It's a tough gig. It's tough, we have 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 an app that we use to to track our metrics. It's tough punching in a two digit number when the first digit's a three. It's horrible. Horrible. But, It is what it is. And until you face the facts, faith can't fix it. And so we record those metrics, 32. And and yet never lose the faith because Jesus started with 12. And look what happened. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Some of you are buried right now in a dead end job and you're wondering if God's ever gonna bring you beyond that. But you know that only when the seed gets buried in the ground for a season will it fulfill its potential. Some of you are buried in a difficult season in, in, in a relationship and you're wondering if it's ever gonna get better and yet, Sometimes it's the very season of being buried that you allows you to reach your potential. It was only Abraham being buried in disappointment that ultimately produced the potential of him being dependent on God. He tried it his way a few times, didn't work. God kept him buried in disappointment, but out of that, eventually it turned into dependence. And he became the father of many nations and like a lot, a lot, of, a lot of people. On a Friday 2,000 years ago, Jesus was hung on a cross. And that's not what his followers thought was gonna happen. I mean, he told them it was, but they refused to believe it. But there he was, nevertheless, hanging on a cross. It, it is what it is but it's not what it seems. Then he got buried. Buried. For a season in a tomb. The tomb was sealed. There was a a, a fleet of Roman, the best Roman soldiers out the front. This was not a day of great hope for his followers, but they had to face the facts. It is what it is. But those of us that have read the story now know it's not what it seems. But he had to be buried before he could fulfill his potential, which in Jesus' case was to rise from the grave, to come up from the ground three days later. It is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not what it seems. And I want you to know this morning that 
the very same pattern that Jesus demonstrated, that, that that's true for you, that that's something that you can experience in your own life, that if you face the facts in your life, but don't lose the faith, that in that, in that space is where faith can be functional, where everything might seem hopeless, but we choose to believe anyway. I was talking with one of my friends this week. They're in tears about their job, working in an incredibly dysfunctional workplace. Most of the people that they work with are bozos. This, this friend of mine's learned to put up boundaries. You know, if, you work, if you're around dysfunctional people, one of the best things you can do is put up boundaries, like clear boundaries. <laughs> but you know, the problem is dysfunctional people don't tend to respect boundaries. <laughs> So you can create great boundaries and, and, and have them compromised every minute of the day. And this person was in tears saying, am I ever gonna get out of here? And I said, well, I've got a message on Sunday that I'm gonna preach that uh, you might benefit from, that you've got to face the facts. Yeah, you hate your job. It's, it's not God's best for you, but don't lose the faith that you may feel buried in obscurity, but the, the potential.